All right, hello, Christ community. Glad that all of you are here. Uh, greetings to our 15th Street campus and our West campus, as well as our traditions venue. Super excited about this weekend and all that God wants to do in, in our hearts. If you have your Bible or uh, Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 8. Uh, we are continuing our journey through the book of Luke. Uh, now, because of Easter, we the, the weeks leading up to Easter, we jumped ahead and we spent several weeks kind of looking at the passages that lead up to and describe the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So now we're jumping back. We're going back again to Luke chapter 8, where we left off in February and starting a new series we're calling Follow. Now, I'm going to say right up front that this passage we're looking at today is kind of creepy. Uh, this is kind of creepy. This is, you know, this is kind of tales from the dark side, okay? Um, and, and yet it's real and it's incredibly important. We live in a, a day and age. Age, uh, where there is a huge fascination with the paranormal, um, ghosts and haunted places and communicating with the dead. And we have shows like, you know, reality shows like Ghost Hunters and Destination Truth, where, where these paranormal experts or whatever, they're, they're uh, doing their thing and, and, and the paranormal is regularly explored and being pursued. I mean, our society is fascinated with this stuff. The problem is, the problem is there is not a lot of discernment when it comes to these things. People love being creeped out by watching something on TV, but what happens if it's in their own home, right? What if they personally encounter an evil presence? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? So we as a society, we're, we're on one hand, we're kind of fascinated by these things, but we're also very naive, about these things, which is not a good position to be in given the power of the spiritual realm. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture. We come to here a passage of scripture today that can show us how to respond when we experience harmful spiritual influences. So let's jump in to Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, where the disciples and Jesus are en route across the Sea of Galilee. They've just been through a huge storm. That's where we were last February when we were in this section. Now we're back in chapter 8 again. They've just experienced this huge storm where Jesus calms the winds and the waves. And now we pick it up in verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Okay, we'll stop there for now. So, so as Jesus comes ashore, 
He is met by this man who is in torment because of demons. Now, demons are evil spirits who seek to hinder God's good purposes in people's lives. Now, you may be kind of skeptical about demons, you know, whether they exist or not. You may be skeptical. I, I was a bit as well until as a fairly new Christian, I actually encountered a demon that had taken up residence in the life of a person that I knew. And since then, I've had a handful of, of similar encounters with demons which have removed, for me, they've kind of removed any doubt in my mind as to whether or not demons are real. They are very real, and they are very evil, and they are actively working to hinder God's purposes in people's lives, which is exactly what we see happening in this passage. I mean, these demons are wreaking havoc in this man's life, physically, uh, emotionally, spiritually. This man lives in isolation. He lives in, in a cemetery. He's been chained. He's under guard. He's naked. He's in torment. He's living in horrible bondage. Now, granted, this is a very extreme picture, but it clearly reveals what Satan and his demons are after. They want to bring people into bondage and into darkness and into despair. That's what they want to do. So how do they do this? How do they do this? What is their strategy? That's a really important question for us to answer because if we don't know their strategy, we will become a very easy target. If we don't know the strategy, we become a very easy target. So how do demons operate? Well, I think it's helpful to think of demonic influence on a continuum, on a continuum. Now, the guy in the story, he is at the far end. He's at the one end of this continuum. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But there are, there are a couple of levels before that point. The most basic level of demonic influence is temptation. Temptation. Demons can't force us to disobey God, right? They can't force us to do that. They can't force us to sin against God. So they do the next best thing. They tempt us with a lie. You deserve this after the way you've been treated. You need this. It'll be good for you. It'll feel good. No one will ever know. See, when these subtle thoughts are dropped into our minds, we often don't even consider the possibility of a demonic source. We assume they're our thoughts. They're our thoughts. And often we take the bait because we assume they're our thoughts. We take the bait. And then we experience the damage that this activity or this sin brings into our lives. But we freely chose this. We freely chose that. Chose that Satan didn't didn't have to show up in a scary way, right? You know that's not what was going. On. All he did was whisper a lie, and we believed it. This this is what he did with Adam and Eve, all the way back in Genesis three, and he's he and his demons have been using <clears throat> the exact same strategy ever since, with amazing results. Actually, very effective results from their perspective. Okay, so temptation. The next level 
on this continuum is oppression, oppression. Oppression is a more sustained spiritual attack. So sometimes it comes from repeatedly believing lies and giving into temptation over and over again. And so these lies actually become ingrained in us. They become our default response. And the Bible has a, a very specific word to describe this. It's the word stronghold. A stronghold is a path that we, in our minds, we have taken it so often that it really becomes our instinctive response without even thinking about it. We've just done this over and over and over and again. It's like a rut in our lives. It's a spiritual stronghold and it begins to exert more and more control over us. So that would be one form of oppression. But oppression can also come in the form of a heaviness, a discouragement, a fear that just kind of settles over us like a wet blanket. It can, it can be a prolonged sort of thing where we just feel this weight. We just feel this heaviness upon us. Just last week, I talked with a couple staff people who at the very same time, the very same night, last Saturday night, they experienced an oppressive attack of the enemy. Um, one, it was so bad. He, he texted me at four o'clock in the morning um, and uh, just pray for me, that kind of a deal. But just both of them, similar things in the, in the evening, sort of this fear, this, this discouragement just came upon them like an oppressive, wet blanket. Now, I am not saying that anytime we feel discouraged or anytime we feel anxious, that this is definitely a spiritual attack. I'm not saying that. There are a number of reasons for depression and anxiety and those kinds of things. But I will say that it could be a spiritual attack. It could be. And is that even on our radar? Um, later in the book of Luke, in chapter 13, we're introduced to a woman who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. So the text says she was crippled by a spirit for 18 years. There was a demonic oppression that had impacted this woman physically. We don't know how the oppression started. We know very little about that or any, anything about that, but we do see the results. It was debilitating to this woman. She was crippled by the spirit for 18 years. Verse 12, Jesus said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Notice he doesn't say you are healed. He doesn't say that. He says, you are set free. She was freed from this demonic oppression. I was recently talking with a woman um, in our church who recently came to the prayer experience, which we have on Sunday afternoons. For he, uh, we have healing prayer and listening prayer every Sunday afternoon from 4 to 6. You can just come. So she was coming for healing prayer because she had some shoulder pain. And so she was in with our healing prayer team. And as the team was praying for healing for her shoulder, they also began to pray for her arthritis. She, I think, mentioned that she had arthritis, and they began to pray for that as well. So in the midst of them praying, praying for her arthritis, she had this sense in her spirit that there was some demonic thing attached to this condition. There was something demonic. She just had this kind of stirring in her heart. And so she, she just rebuked it in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you in Jesus' name, just that kind of, kind of thing. Immediately, right when she did it, immediately, and I, I interviewed her. I want to get the details right here. She told me immediately she felt this, this whoosh kind of sensation in the core of her body. 
Now, her shoulder pain was still there, but she actually felt something was, was different. And so then she drove home, and she was home a few hours, and she very soon she began to notice she was standing taller. She was standing taller. She had battled with posture stuff related to arthritis. She was standing taller. Her posture was significantly improved, which has continued to be the case. So apparently there was some connection between this evil spirit and her arthritis. Now, I am not saying that all sickness is demonically related, but there could be a link, right? There could be a link and we need the Lord to show us if there is. Okay, so we have temptation, the most basic form. Then we have this area of oppression. Um, well, continuing on, the third level of, on this continuum that we see in this passage um, and, and, and that we're, that we're uh, looking at today, and that, that is infestation. Infestation, where a demonic presence actually comes to reside within a person, exerting significant influence. Now, there is often confusion as it relates to this idea of being demon-possessed. I think it's unfortunate that the NIV translation translates this in Luke 8, demon, he is demon-possessed. They use that language. I, think, I feel like that's an unfortunate translation because what the, the, the passage, what the text literally says in the Greek or whatever, it says is this man had demons. He had demons. There were demons residing in him, influencing him. Now, I, I'm very uncomfortable theologically with using the, the word possession as a translation or to describe this because I don't think it communicates demonic realities very clearly or very accurately. Possession speaks of ownership. It speaks of ownership, but that's not the issue. It is not an issue of who owns the person. It's an issue of territory that has been given to this demon in this person's life. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? No, they are purchased and owned by Jesus. But can a Christian have a demon within them? Absolutely. Absolutely. All of the deliverances that I have personally been a part of, where demons have been cast out, all of them have been with believers in Jesus. They had an evil spirit that had taken up residence in them. They were not possessed. They just had taken, uh, an evil spirit had taken up residence in them and was influencing them in significant ways. And it needed to be cast out. The demon needed to be kicked out. In Ephesians 4, Verses 26 to 27, because some of you are thinking, I'm not sure I agree with that. And, and you know, we can talk later or whatever. But, but uh, in Ephesians 4, Paul says this. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not, look at the language here. Do not give the devil a foothold. A foothold. Interesting choice of words. A foothold. Paul is saying that we can actually give Satan ground in our lives. The more we give in to certain sinful behaviors, the more ground we give to him. So that eventually a believer in Jesus can have a spirit that is exerting significant control and influence. Uh, a spirit that has so much of a foothold, it actually has some territory there and it needs to be removed. Now, this is especially true in, in, um, especially true in areas of occult involvement. 
um, where maybe because of involvement in the past, we were, we were heavily involved in the occult. And, and so that's one open door. Obviously, the spirit realm, that's one open door, sometimes for demonic influence. And it's also true regarding deep sexual immorality. Our, our sexuality is very much a spiritual aspect of our lives. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 6. It's a spiritual part of our lives. So it can become a portal in which the enemy tries to gain increasing influence. I've shared this before, but it's worth sharing again. A friend of mine, good friend of mine, had a, a very sexually immoral past before he became a devoted Christian. And a few years um, after he became a Christian, a few years after that, he went to seminary to become a pastor. But this lust thing in his life continued to be a stronghold. It continued to be this huge stronghold in his life. And so about a year into his ministry, so he's in pastoral ministry. About a year into his ministry, he goes to this conference. He went to this conference. And during the worship at this conference, he began to physically tremble. And he didn't know what was going on. And so some prayer people on the prayer team kind of noticed what was happening. And so they went over to him and they offered to pray for him. And so they took him into a prayer room and they began to pray. And as they were praying, they discerned some demonic influence going on. And sure enough, a demon of lust manifested itself and it was kicked out by the authority of Jesus. It was kicked out of his life by the authority of Jesus. He later told me, I talked with him in detail about this. He later told me that his level of temptation before, before that experience, his level of temptation was like a seven or an eight as it related to lust. Immediately after that experience, his temptation level went down to a two and it stayed there immediately. It went from an eight to a two. It wasn't that he was no longer tempted, but this lust demon was no longer infesting his life. See, we need to realize that demons are real and they are actively working against us at various stages in this continuum. If left unchecked, they will continue to exert more and more control and more and more destruction because, again, that's what they're about. That's what their strategy is. It's to lie, to steal, destroy. That's what they're about, which, again, we see in this man's life in our passage today. These demons had robbed him of so much. Okay, so let's get to the good stuff here. How does Jesus respond to this man? Verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied. I had to use a different voice there, but I won't do that. Um, but no, but just to wake some of you guys up, right? But uh, no, Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Okay, let's stop right there for a moment because we've, we need to notice something really important here. Notice who is in charge. Notice who is in charge here. Jesus. Jesus, even though there are hundreds, perhaps demons, there are a large number of demons in this man, and they are obviously very powerful in terms of the destruction that they're causing in this whole community. These are powerful demons, even though there are a lot of them, they are begging Jesus to not send them to the abyss, which was a place of judgment. The abyss represents that, a place of judgment. Now, this is such an important truth. These demons, again, they are begging Jesus to not judge them. It is so very clear who is in charge here. 
Jesus, period. <laughs> we need to always remember this. No matter what spiritual battles we find ourselves in, Jesus is way stronger than any demon or demons that we encounter. We don't need to live in fear of these things. No matter where we're at on the continuum, we don't need to live in fear of these things. Jesus is bigger. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is bigger. Now, if you thought the this, this story couldn't get any weirder, um, buckle up here, okay? Verse 32. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Okay, I told you, it gets weird, right? And this raises all sorts of questions. Why did these demons want to go into a bunch of pigs? And why did they then immediately send the pigs over a cliff to drown? And what happened to the demons then? And why didn't Jesus send them to the abyss? Why did he say yes to the pigs? Those are great questions. And here's my, I've done a lot of research. Here's my scholarly, well-thought-out response. I don't have a clue, okay? I have no idea. I don't know. I, my, my understanding of pig theology is fairly limited, okay? What we do know, what we do know from this passage is that demons, one thing we know, demons can inhabit animals. I can think of some cats that we've owned that fit in this category, I'm sure. They were demonically influenced or whatever. Um, we also see here, again, we just see they want to go in the pigs and what do they do immediately? They kill them all. So we see that, and maybe they, they had a power there that they didn't have with, with humans or whatever, but just the idea they can immediately destroy them. It shows, again, what demons are all about. They're all about destruction. That's their goal. They destroy these pigs. Verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and left. Now the response of the people is so fascinating and it's so eye-opening. Here, here is this man who for years has lived in bondage, right? Running from tomb to tomb outside their city. They have heard his screams. They have warned their children to stay away from him. They have kind of hired or whatever. They've gotten guards to watch him so he doesn't do any more damage. They've, so they've tried to control him with guards and chains. They have seen him physically break these chains. That's how this whole community has lived for years, with that presence, they've lived for years. And, but now, and now they hear that something has happened to this man. And so they, they come from the village, and they go out to see for themselves. And they see this man, this same man. They see him fully clothed and in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet. 
He has been delivered from this legion of demons. He has been rescued from this life of torment and pain. Jesus has set him free. So how do the people respond? With high fives, congratulatory hugs, you know, celebration, gratitude. No, no. They were afraid. Luke says they were afraid. So they ask Jesus to leave. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Here they were standing in the presence of the one, capital O, the one, who with a word had delivered this man from his torment. And they ask Jesus, they ask him to leave their presence. What is this about? What is this about? What we see here is a very real choice that every one of us here has in this world in which we live. A world with a very real spiritual realm all around us. It is very real, even though we can't see it. It is very real. And this passage shows us this choice that every one of us has in this realm. We have one of two choices, to live in fear or to live in Jesus. That's the choice. To live in fear or to live in Jesus. That's the choice we have. And these people chose fear. They were afraid. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of the power that Jesus demonstrated over demons, over their herd of pigs. I mean, he definitely upset the status quo, didn't he? <laughs> he has a way of doing that. And so in their mind, they were choosing comfort. They were choosing safety. In their mind, they were choosing comfort and safety. Jesus, get out of here. We're afraid of you. We're choosing comfort and safety. But the irony is, the irony is they were actually kicking out of their lives the very one who could bring them real safety. They were kicking out of their lives the very one who could protect them from what they should have been afraid of, these demons, these demonic forces that for so long had held this man in bondage. That's what they should have been afraid of, but instead they chose to be afraid of Jesus. And we have the same choice today. We have the same choice today. We, we live in a world with spiritual forces at work. They are evil forces, demonic forces that are wanting to damage and destroy God's work in your life and mine. They want to bring you into bondage. They want to bring us into bondage, right? They want to keep us living in fear. They want to hinder the good things God has in store for you. And for me, that's what they want to do. Now, the way down that, the way to head down that path, what I just described there, is to do exactly what these villagers did. Just say no to Jesus. That's how to head down that path. Just say no to Jesus. Say no to his lordship. Say no to his power in your life. Say no to his tendency to kind of upset the status quo, right? Just choose to live without him, without Jesus at the center of your life. And I guarantee the demons will love it. They will love it because in doing that, we will have disconnected ourselves from the very source of power that can actually drive back and defeat their work in our lives. That's one option, but we do have another option. We can choose to walk with Jesus in the battles. We can choose to walk with Jesus in the warfare. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy's work, no matter where we are on the continuum, no matter what kinds of attacks we're sustaining. We do not have to be afraid. We can walk in freedom as we walk with Jesus. 
our bondage breaker. So what does that look like in practical terms? I want us to jump to another passage that kind of shows us how we apply this powerful verse in the book of first Peter that helps answer this question for us. It was a letter written by Peter um, to a group of believers. And in chapter five of that letter, first Peter five, verse eight, we read these words. In fact, why don't you read these out loud with me? Read this verse out loud with me. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, in these verses, we see two crucial elements of walking with Jesus in the area of warfare. The first element is discernment. Discernment. Notice what he says right at the start of that verse. Be alert and of sober mind. Why? Because your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, if you heard, if you heard on the radio or on the internet or something, a newspaper, that there was a lion that somehow got loose in Greeley, it would change your life. You would be watchful. You would be on the alert, right? We would just instinctively do that. The Bible says to us, there is a lion on the loose, in your family, in your neighborhood, in this community, there is a lion on the loose. There is an enemy who seeks to destroy us and our loved ones. And so if that's the case, we need to do exactly what Peter says. We need to be alert. We need to be of sober mind. We need to heighten our spiritual awareness so that we can discern and recognize when there are demonic forces at work in our lives. Because again, they're, they're invisible, but they're real. So we need discernment. The problem is so many times we as believers in Jesus, I mean, we, t- we can talk the talk and we can say we believe the right theology about the devil and all that stuff. We talk the talk. The problem is we as believers often, we don't even honestly, we don't even consider the possibility of demonic influence when, there's, when there are things happening in our lives. It is not even on our radar We don't even consider that. We don't even consider the possibility. So often, we don't even consider the possibility that there could be a demonic influence um, at work in some situation or circumstance. We just think our marriage is going through a really hard time. Or or we just think we're, we're feeling more fearful than usual. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's my diet or whatever, you know, or, or, or our child seems to be drifting spiritually. And we, well, that's just sort of a phase. But what if it is the result of demonic influence, a a demonic attack on our marriage, on our child, on us as individuals. What if it is? If that's not even on our radar, how are we going to know? How are we going to know? So we need discernment. Discernment is so important. We need just asking Jesus, hey, what's going on here, Lord? What, what, what is, is there some demonic influence that's trying to wreak havoc in, in, in my family right now, in my life right now? It's trying to bring me into bondage. I remember hearing uh, John and Stacey Eldridge just talk about their marriage and how they were kind of going at it. And then all of a sudden this realization uh, that just that they were under attack and that their spouse was not the enemy. <laughs> the enemy was the enemy, Right. Their spouse was not the enemy, but it kind of took this awareness in the midst of a heated argument. Oh, what's going on here? Why are we yelling at each other? What what is this? And they recognize that. So discernment. The second crucial element of walking with Jesus in our warfare 
is resistance. Resistance. Look at what Peter says next. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Resist him. Now, this is a repeated theme in scripture. So in James chapter four, we're told the same thing. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul uses the same language in Ephesians six and that whole section about spiritual warfare. Apparently this resist thing is pretty important. So what does it mean? It is a very active word. This is not a passive activity. We need to actively resist the enemy's work in our lives. So how do we do that? Well, resist can mean any number of things. It can mean any number of things. In the midst of temptation, for instance, to resist means to reject the lies of the enemy. <clears throat> Just, I'm not going there. That's a lie. Just reject it. That's resistance. I see what you're doing. I'm not going to do that. I don't believe that lie. I know where this path is going to lead. So it's just, it, it could be just resistance in that way, recognizing the lies and renouncing those lies. Resistance can also mean to repent of any ways that we have given the enemy a foothold. If, if we know we have given ground to the enemy through a particular behavior, occult involvement or sexual involvement, whatever, if we, if we know we've given ground to the enemy through a particular behavior, we need to repent of that. We need to repent of that. We need to bring it to the cross and ask Jesus to take that. See, this is where a lot of spiritual warfare takes place. It's, it's not this dramatic, usually it's not this dramatic casting out of demons. It takes place at this point of repentance, personal repentance, where the ground that we've given, the foothold we've given to the enemy for our anger or whatever, we let Jesus take that back. We repent of that sin. And, uh, and we renounce that, and suddenly that territory, that, that foothold is removed, and, and Jesus moves in again there with, and takes his, his rightful authority there. So it can mean repentance, renouncing lies, it can mean repentance, but resistance also can mean some tenacity on our part. Taking the authority of Jesus that we have been given and using that authority in prayer. Let me give a recent example in our lives. A few weeks ago, we got a call from our son, actually a text. He texted us. Um, no one calls anymore. What is that? Right. So uh, Caleb texted us to pray for him because he had been having trouble sleeping. He had weird dreams. They'd been going on for a number of nights, weird dreams and all this. And so would you pray for me? And so Rayleigh and I were like, absolutely. So, you know, we, we, we just, he let us know by text. And so Rayleigh and I just said a prayer for him. The next day we texted him and asked how he slept. And he said, terrible, <clears throat> terrible. Um, and, and so, so immediately I said, tonight, before you go to bed, you call us. No texts here. You're going to call us tonight. So he did that. Before he went to bed, he called us. We were in bed. And so called us. And, and over the phone, we, act, we stepped it up. We actively resisted the enemy. It was more than just a bless Caleb's sleep, Lord. Um, this, you know, we were using the name of Jesus to break the power of this harassment and this oppression. We broke off every foul spirit in the name of Jesus. We prayed with authority. Next day, hey, Caleb, how'd you sleep? Great. Best night of sleep I've had in weeks. What made the difference? We prayed both times. What made the difference? We were, we were way more directive and forceful and authoritative and focused in prayer the second time than we were the first time. See, one thing that's really easy to miss in the passage we're looking at here in Luke 8 
is that the, this conversation, if you, you can look at this yourself, the conversation that happens between the demons and Jesus, that conversation happens after Jesus has already commanded the evil spirits to come out. You can look at it for yourself, verse 29. Jesus, it says Jesus commanded the evil spirit to leave, and then he had a conversation with the demons. So what does that mean? It means they didn't come out the first time, even for Jesus. They didn't come out the first time, even for Jesus. When we are under attack, we need to be forceful. We need to be tenacious in our resistance. Repeatedly using the name and the authority of Jesus to drive back the enemy. This is not a time for passivity. Oh, well, you know, no, we need to be tenacious. We need to be forceful in the authority we have been given. We have authority that we've been given. About a month ago, a family in our church uh, emailed me about some weird things going on in their home. Um, they had seen a being, one night they'd seen a being standing over one of their kids, and, and think, weird things were happening in the house, and <clears throat> kids weren't sleeping well, and all these things were going on, and they were kind of freaking out, understandably so, right? Um, and so we, we, just begin, we just talked through how to respond, just began to talk how, how to respond. I told them, do not freak out. <laughs> Don't freak out. Jesus is bigger. He is bigger than whatever is going on in your home. He is bigger. Don't freak out about this. Just utilize the authority you have in Jesus because you have been given authority in him. Utilize that authority. Command, go in your home, go through your home, command any, any, any foul spirits to leave. And then I encourage them to teach their children how to pray this way so that if they sense, the children sense an evil presence in the room or in their dreams, they can speak to it. Get out in the name of Jesus. We need to teach our kids this. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate superhero. I mean, seriously, he is. And our kids need to know that. <clears throat> they need to know that, that he is with them. He's the ultimate superhero. He is with them wherever they go. And they need to know how they can use, his, use the name and the authority of Jesus to do that. So the family did that. They went home, they prayed, they take an authority and all that. And the weird things just stopped. They're doing great. They're doing great. They, they discipled their kids in that. They grew in that. That was just a cool, a cool situation where they, they learn together about the authority they have and what it looks like to resist, actively resist. That's what it looks like. That's what walking with Jesus looks like in our spiritual battles. It's utilizing the authority of Jesus' name to res resist the enemy so, so that he becomes unable to establish these strongholds that he's trying to establish in our lives. <clears throat> Whatever, wherever, wherever we're at in this continuum, resist, 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 right? We're just trying to resist, in his name. Now, one, one free resource I highly recommend, I tell this to people all the time, it's a free resource um, on John Eldridge's where, uh, website. It's, it, it's this warfare prayer, it's called the Daily Prayer that he's adapted from some other people or whatever. The Daily Prayer by John Eldridge. You can find it on our app under messages, or you can also find it on our website under eGroups, or you can just do a Google search and find it under what's written there. But it is a powerful prayer to pray over ourselves every day. It includes family members too. You can just pray it over ourselves, especially if we feel like we're in a, we're in a season of just intensified spiritual attack. Something's going on. This is just a great prayer to pray. And it gives us kind of language. It's rooted in the, in the Bible. It's theologically deep, good stuff. Now, let me just say that if you do find yourself in a place on this continuum where you feel like you suspect there is, there may be some demonic influence going on, 
some infestation, some area of footholds, you know, where you just feel like there may be something like that. And your own repentance hasn't seemed to remove that. I would encourage you, call our church office. And again, don't freak out. Just call our church office and, and request a prayer team that could lead you in, 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 into a time of prayer for deliverance. Whatever spiritual battle you're experiencing, wherever, whatever demonic influence that you're encountering, the solution is Jesus, the bondage breaker, right? The solution is Jesus, our bondage breaker. He wants us to walk in freedom. And he has given us the means for that to happen, his very own presence and his very own authority. So live in him, walk with him. Don't be afraid of the enemy. <clears throat> Don't be afraid of the enemy. Rather, resist him and then enjoy the freedom that Jesus gives you. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thanks for the truth of your word that is so relevant to our lives. Jesus, thank you for being bigger way bigger than the enemy. And we're grateful for that. So I want to give a couple of invitations here. First invitation, there may be some of you and you don't know Jesus personally. And here's the deal. If you don't know Jesus personally, you are on your own in this spiritual battle. I'm not trying to scare you. This is just the way it is. If there's an evil presence in your room, good luck with that. If you do not know Jesus personally, you are on your own in this spiritual battle, which is not good. And so I want, to, I want to lead you in a prayer where you can invite Jesus to come live in you and transform your life and give you the, the authority to walk in freedom from fear, from any demonic encounter at all. So if that's the desire of your heart, to have a relationship with Jesus, then I would pray this prayer along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. You are whole, you are perfect, you are complete, and I am a sinner. I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. I haven't followed you very well. I'm sorry. And I realize that my sin, it separates me from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to be on my own in this battle and in this life. So even though there's nothing I could do to get to you, you came to me in the person of Jesus. Jesus, you came to earth. You lived a perfect life and, and you battled demons and drove out demons. And then you went to the cross for me, you went to the cross to pay the penalty that I should have paid. Jesus, you took all of my sin upon yourself. Thank you. I'm so grateful. And I choose right now to place my trust in you. I bring you all of my fears and my doubts and my questions and my sins and my, my failures, all of that. I just bring it all to you. <clears throat> and I place it on your shoulders. In exchange, in exchange for that, I receive your life. <laughs> and I receive your forgiveness for all of my sin. Past, present, the sins I haven't even committed yet, forgiven by you. And now I, I just receive your presence through your spirit 
Come live in me, Jesus, forever and ever. Change me from the inside out. God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray that you would help them grow in their relationship with you, that they would use the authority you have given them now to walk in freedom from fear and to resist the enemy. So now another invitation here for the rest of us, just as we're quieting our hearts for a moment. I want you to put yourself in this story that we just read And here's the question I want you to ask. Just you ask yourself, where is the enemy trying to put you in chains? Where is the enemy trying to rob you or oppress you? Maybe you even kind of see these chains you're wearing. What's what's written on those chains? What, What is that? Where is the enemy trying to do that in your life? And now what would it look like to actively resist him, to resist the enemy? Maybe it would involve repentance. You could just take a moment right now in the the quiet of your heart, just repenting of ground given to the enemy of, of, of sin. Just in the quiet of your heart, just repent of that. Bring it to the cross. And maybe it also looks like, sure it does, it looks like it's resistance. What does resistance look like for you? To fight, to not just be passive and let this stuff happen, to, to fight with the weapons you've been given by Jesus, to stand in his authority. So Lord Jesus, I just want to pray for that. I want to pray that you would remove our chains, that you would help us actively resist the enemy's work and be aware and discerning of when he's, he's working and we would actively resist in the authority of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Help us walk with you. Thank you that we are not alone in this battle. I thank you that we don't need to be afraid because you live in us and I pray you would help us stand in who you are and actively resist the enemy's work in our lives and in our families and our friends. Just actively resist for your glory, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Jesus, for being an amazing Savior who sets us free and enables us to walk in freedom. We love you. We love you, God. So one of the powerful ways to resist the enemy is worship, and so we're going to do that right now. Why don't you stand, whatever campus you're at here, why don't we stand So the worship team leads us. If you want to sit down at some point, you can. But uh, let's stand and let's just declare these songs of praise to our amazing Savior.